0: Are you obsessed with chess, but also kind of fun at parties?
1: Do you keep your opening prep on your bedside table right next to your feelings journal?
0: Welcome to the Chess Feels podcast, the only chess podcast dedicated to the social and psychological aspects of this game we know and love.
1: And hate. Tune in every week to join me, professional chess teacher and amateur feelings haver JJ Lang.
0: And me, professional therapist and amateur checkmate finder Julia Rios
1: as we dive into our shared love for the game and attempt to answer the most burning question for every chess obsessive. Why are, are we like this? this? Yeah. Welcome back, everybody. On last week's episode of Chess Feels. The podcast never stopped. It's like Hell's Kitchen. It's like on the continuation of Chess Feels podcast. <laughs>
0: I don't understand the mittens thing.
1: No, mittens, kill it.
0: Sorry, mittens, peace out. (laughs) Let's just throw in uncastling. Who fucking cares?
1: Maybe uncastling, though, is a move that you could do on your opponent.
0: Okay, you've convinced me. All I want to do is touch the pieces. There should be like an ADHD like accommodation, you know, how you can get like a 504 or an IEP. You should be able to bring this to a chess tournament and be like, actually, I am allowed to touch.
1: Deodorant should be mandatory at all over the board tournaments.
0: I'm not even convinced that deodorant could actually solve this problem.
1: <laughs> mandatory full-on spa treatments for all players before the tournament starts. I want everyone smelling like a cucumber melon.
0: (laughs) Mandatory showers. You have to somehow prove.
1: Group showers.
0: You have to let the TD watch the night before. There has to be a live stream. We need to see everyone stepping into the shower and using the products.
1: Oh, Julia, it's not the night before. It's five minutes before each game, and there's like a full body (laughs) search before to make sure that you don't have any beads. (laughs) Chess and hot dog eating contest. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Who wouldn't want to watch me eat 17 hot dogs?
1: Marco says, Blitz and Bullet aren't real chess. Of course they are. What about the slow way of doing things?
0: It is slow. Bullet is slow. He didn't say Hyper Bullet. Hyper Bullet
1: <laughs> Okay, good. Yeah. Tournaments at a cat cafe. I'm convinced.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that. 100% on board. Convinced.
1: Okay, you've convinced me.
0: There you go. You've convinced me. You've convinced me. Please convince me.
1: You've convinced me and they've convinced me.
0: All right, fuck you convinced me.
1: Jason Clark says that it's time to make the Classical World Championship a tournament like Rapid Blitz and replace the World Championship cycle with a tournament that focuses on Classical Rapid Blitz and 960 to find the best overall player in the world.
0: Yeah, sure. We can add that on.
1: But Carl, that guy who talked about us on Kasparov Chess, Says, while playing Blitz is fine and good, expressing any sort of opinion about how normal chess should be abolished and replaced with 50-game Blitz matches should be shunned in the way a group of dusty old (laughs) 1923 would have shunned it.
0: Oh, I've never heard that conversation. Is that conversation happening somewhere?
1: That classical chess should be abolished and replaced with a 50-game Blitz match?
0: Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I haven't quite heard that one yet.
1: Magnus has strongly suggested he would have been more interested in defending the title if it was something closer to that format.
0: That's a different thing.
1: That's a different thing, but I think it's a hyperbolic version of people saying that there should be more rapid and blitz as part of the world championship.
0: There's all this talk about abolishing this and phasing out that like more is more. We don't need to pretend to have a debate about what is in and what is out. (laughs) Everything's in.
1: Ryan Duff agrees with you. Rapid and Blitz are overrated. Classical chess is only hated because people view it as slow and boring or that there are too many draws, neither of which are true. People's mindsets are the problem. Mm, A draw can be more entertaining than a miniature attacking game. And a tree for a while, Greenery 9000, says that chess is thick with two C's draw margin is actually nice. Yes, it (laughs) is all about the thickness.
0: Oh, I know you loved this. All right, JJ, you go off.
1: I think this is really just all there is to say. I think that is really brilliant. And Mr. Dodgy says classical chess is measurably superior to rapid or blitz in every single way.
0: Are you going to add anything to do or that's a,
1: that's it. Yeah. Just this idea to talk about what is real chess or what should be like the default format for popular chess at the professional level or at any level is just such a confusing question to me. I just find this idea that certain forms of chess are just actually more or less capital I interesting is just a really weird question surely the quality of play is going to be better at slower time controls. And that's going to make some of the psychological issues or some of the blunders or the decisions more exciting. That's going to lead to more suspense when you have players thinking for a long time, but also more boredom when they're thinking for a long time. But surely there's going to be things that are way more interesting than in a rapid game. But in a rapid game, being able to see something closer to the intuitions of strong players And measure them against your own can be way more interesting than just seeing what these strong players come up with after thinking for a long time. And blitz can be way more interesting because it's that plus they're going so fast that there's even going to be more errors in calculation, which can be another level of relatability. And those are just all different things that I think can be really compelling about chess. And the idea that any of them is more real chess than any of the others or the idea that any of those is more entertaining than any of the others is kind of just confusing to me.
0: Yeah, I agree with every single thing that you just said. And that was the point that I was trying to make. Like, why are we pitting these things against each other as if it's a comparison that is either necessary or useful to make? Different people will find different things about each of these things interesting, and we have enough space for all of it.
1: Okay, so you've just convinced me of something. you can You've convinced me of Kenneth's point. There should only be one rating, and there should only be one world champion. This is the only way to make sure that all forms of chess are equally valued.
0: <laughs> I actually don't care if they are either.
1: Well, I guess I don't care, but if you have like different ratings, different titles, etc., then you'll just have debates over which one is the real one, or what should this format be. But if it's all rated chess, and it's all part of the same cycle then it doesn't matter which one you're really good at. If you can't keep up in any format, maybe they don't even tell you the time control of the game until <laughs> the tournament starts. You just got to be able to maybe keep up. Maybe they don't even cards. tell you
0: the format of the game until your time runs out.
1: That is a whole new, yeah. Okay, that's part chess. of
0: the chaos tournament. What are we calling that?
1: Oh, yeah, chess 960. No, I'm con- The clocks have 960 different time controls. <laughs> Can you imagine just like you've been invited to the uh, FIDE World Cup? Dates are somewhere between the three and 35 days starting (laughs) on July 8th. and
0: (laughs) You don't know how much time you have or how much you'll be drinking. So seriously, just play fast.
1: You'll be expected to play one or 12 games today and alcohol will not be provided. But you will need to drink it. Speaking of FIDE, (laughs) if Chesscom wants to replace FIDE, that's fine with me. Convince me.
0: Yeah. If Nestle wants to replace everything, that's fine with me.
1: Do you think Nestle would do a good job at getting sponsors for chess tournaments? Do they even know any, like, oligarchs?
0: (laughs) Yeah, let's just monopolize, for sure.
1: So, is the issue the monopoly, or is it the issue that it's Chesscom doing it? Yes. (laughs) Good.
0: It'll always be yes. It will always be yes.
1: Yeah. Claim that FIDE is... This delightful combination of corrupt and inept that makes them right to be overthrown. And why does the real quote unquote world champion have to be the FIDE world champion? Totally. If Magnus says he's not going to play the FIDE world championship, but then chess.com hosts something called the world championship, Magnus is in it it's played a bunch of different time controls. Okay, yeah, sure. I could totally see that moving in a direction that was trying to phase out FIDA. And in theory, I think that's fine. Or maybe even they're not just being one international governing body. Maybe that's fine. Governing the whole world is hard. But if it's going to be a corporation, which let's face it, maybe it's going to be a corporation. Can it at least be one that also doesn't already have its skin in the game as a for-profit competitor in the chess space?
0: Right, exactly. Can it just
1: be Nestle? (laughs) because <laughs> Nestle owns test.com I don't think that's true but don't they own Stovers?
0: <laughs> I have no idea and I don't want to know don't Google it don't you dare Google I it I thought
1: somebody tweeted that at you once
0: maybe I don't read everything people tweet at me not you
1: online. responded
0: <laughs> <laughs> I also don't read everything that I write on Twitter either
1: okay fair <laughs> enough that's my job so I think one of my favorite categories here I'm just a human chess coach. However, I was interested by the conversations people were having about different ways to study. And I like that this was a lot of people's hottest take. Cameron Heidi says, going through master games is not actually a good use of study time. And most of them are boring (laughs) anyways. Painting nails emoji.
0: Actually, I love the way that this supplements our conversation about the utility of a human chess coach, though, truly, because I actually do think that studying Grandmaster games is one of the best possible things you can do to improve your chess. I also think it's not useful for a large majority of people in the chess community. I think it could become more useful if you had a human chess coach. (laughs) like how we now have to preface it with human for the rest of our lives.
1: I'm going to change my bio as we do
0: this. (laughs) not only curating that selection, which potentially AI could do, but also breaking down those games and really helping someone understand how to study them, not just what to study and what makes them uniquely useful. So I feel like this Twitter comment touches all those things.
1: Yeah. And just to add on your list of everything else, also a lot of these games are boring or even worse. Some of them are exciting but what's exciting about them might be the least relevant or educational aspects of those games why we would be interested in those games historically could be totally different from why we're interested in them pedagogically and to have somebody saying this matters not because it's this brilliant winning move I think for one thing, like the boringness of a lot of these games can be so useful because almost everyone I teach gets into time pressure, gets way stressed, and gets into gross miscalculation because they're putting too much pressure on themselves to make things happen quickly and instantly. And if they could play a bit more like those boring grandmasters who are able to just hashtag elongate the game... Without ever putting that pressure oh, yeah. on themselves, that would make that that is such the boringness is one of the most valuable parts of it. And like Julia is saying, maybe having a coach to talk that you through some of that could be useful. So I agree. You've convinced me and they've convinced me, too.
0: And that actually reminds me of something JJ, that we had talked about on a different pod episode that when we recorded the episode didn't terribly strike me. But for some reason, I was listening back months later, and it hit me in the face like a sledgehammer. And you just made some comment about how one of the things that you do in your coaching that is so pivotal is essentially saying, I cannot emphasize enough how the one thing a lot of my students need more than anything, more than tactics, opening knowledge, chess skill, is more patience. Mm There's no amount of patience that's too much, like Everyone needs to chill the fuck out, essentially, but I also remember you talking about that in terms of your own game, and when you started working with a human chess coach, Mm -hmm. (laughs) how much that was something that even came to your attention, someone that you and I both consider to be a very... Human. (laughs) Human, patient player.
1: And they were able Uh, to do that by showing me games, including games I had played and games I had already known and studied, and showing how to think of these things as patients in ways that I was not seeing them because I am merely human.
0: I know, and I can't wait for the AI that can analyze my chess and say, "I just don't feel like you were feeling patient."
1: I can't wait for that either. So, we've talked about how studying master games is a total waste of time. I'm pretty sure that was the conclusion. Another human chess coach, Jeremy Kane, Says, most of the time, it doesn't matter that much how you train. All it matters is that working on chess is better than not working on chess.
0: We're going to make that dichotomy. If the choices are study anything versus don't study anything, he's 100% right.
1: Yeah, I agree, which is why I wanted to pair this with seven-time Most Encouraging Chess Punk winner, Vish
0: Chess. (laughs) Oh, that's true. If he hasn't won yet, we got to vote for him next year.
1: Oh, he's one most encouraging chess punk every month. He says chessable does more harm than good, especially for, quotes adult improvers without a coach. I think he means human coach, which is most of them. P.S. A response based on a small selection of good courses not on the opening is not a valid refutation of the claim, by the way, as it is primarily used for opening study by most.
0: And there's so much of this that I can agree with about like the ways that chessable is not useful and could even be a hindrance. But then if we're going to have some sort of philosophical, theoretical debate about whether it has overall net more harm than it has net good, I mean, that's hard to measure. But my gut instinct says, no, not a chance if you use it the way it's supposed to be used. Chessable is doing a lot of really good things for people's game. And not just because they sponsor this podcast.
1: I was going to say, if you think about the good that Chessable does, okay, they sponsor the podcast. They They give Anish Giri more money to tweet more. They (laughs) give Mr. Dodgy money to go to India sometimes. Like, that's a lot of good you're fighting against.
0: Yeah, come on, Vish. Open your eyes. But... See see the truth.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But I, I was thinking about this for me personally. I've had more energy and desire recently to study chess than I have in a while. Among other things that I really need to work on is tightening up parts of my opening repertoire. So then the question becomes how much of my chess time do I want to be rote memorization time versus doing the deep work time? And my first thought was a lot of the chessable stuff I'll be doing is just if I'm watching TV and then I'm reviewing lines on my phone. And I know that it's the rote memorization work, but look, in those moments, the options weren't study chess or don't study chess. The options were don't study chess and zone out or don't study chess and zone out while memorizing openings. Mm-hmm. And in that case, like I'd rather do the memorizing openings than the not. Exactly. But then suddenly I find, wait a minute, But then I was zoning out watching TV and memorizing openings during a chunk of time that I totally could have spent (laughs) studying chess. And there's just something about how it can be tempting to replace that time that could have been spent working on chess with working on things that feel like they're working on chess but aren't. And I think that the chessable industrial complex can play into that. And I hear you, Julia, saying that if you use it how it's supposed to be used. Yeah, but maybe there is something about the gamification of accumulating points or being told to bring up a lot of lines where maybe how is it supposed to be used? And maybe it is supposed to be used, quote unquote, in a way that encourages you spending a lot more of your chess energy on the memorization than maybe you need to.
0: Yeah. Okay. And I can totally even buy into that, JJ. But then my next argument is, okay, so fine. We can agree on the ways that it might do some harm, someone's chess game, or be a hindrance in that way. But is the net harm outweighing the net benefit to actually learning certain things or getting someone motivated to get more into chess or just what they're acquiring? And my argument is definitely no. You'll have a hard time convincing me of that.
1: All right. Can I try?
0: You oh. can give me an example about okay, fine. Like in this one very possible specific scenario, someone does spend all their time doing chessable instead of studying the deep work, and it totally holds them back. I think the instances where someone was really gonna be like totally rehaul their chess study and their entire game, but then instead they're only playing chessable. All the time is so small. I don't know. I just don't buy it.
1: Okay. Yeah. That that I agree with. I think. As somebody who at least is under the delusion that they are capable of doing some of the deep work, when I feel myself yeah. doing less deep work than I hope to and more chessable than I hope to, mm-hmm. I think that I do wonder about like how extreme of a case that could be taken to. But I do take your point overall that for people who are doing nothing but chessable for years and then confused why they're not getting better like they hoped they would, they probably just weren't going to do the things that would help them get better whether or not they had a chessable
0: yeah, which is so weird because Chessable, to me, feels way more like an AI coach. So maybe the problem is just that, yeah, no, maybe it's not even a problem at all. Maybe they are getting as good as they could be, and thank God they're not working with a human coach.
1: I did like that vision put adult improver in quotes there because we did get a pair of tweets. <laughs> oh from oh, yeah. Urban Groningen who says adult chess improvers are overrated. Agreed. Adult <laughs> yeah, <don't> chess <just> <laughs> Alpha chess move who says I hate the term adult improver. The Agreed. term is geriatric and it makes me feel old, retired and out to pasture. And I'm well aware oh, some like very respectable podcasters use the term and good on them. I'm just saying it rolls around in my head differently like a kinder way to say you suck. <laughs>
0: No, but all those things are 100% accurate. So now I'm back on board.
1: Okay, so what we need is a term alternative for adult improver that is a less kind way to say you suck.
0: Oh, we can do it. What would it be?
1: Adult diaper.
0: (laughs) I feel like it needs to be something along the lines of adult trier. Adult improver infers that it's working. We need a term Mm. for someone who is an adult really trying whether or not they're succeeding Ambiguous.
1: Adult attempt. <laughs> okay, here you go. Why don't we, instead of using the term adult improver, we can just only talk about people and relationship to their skill level, but their skill level as defined by not just ELO. It's the ELO that basically just like if the top eight year olds in the world are 1800, then yeah. if your goal is to get from 1600 to 1800, then you're just a chess eight year old.
0: Amazing. Okay, so it's neuropsychology, psychometrics. We're just going to age norm everything. Brilliant.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So it's not that I'm a. It's not that I'm an adult improver. It's that I am a chest toddler.
0: Yeah. Wait. Yeah. Oh my god. Obviously. Brilliant. I
1: am just trying to get to chest puberty.
0: <laughs> I'm just trying to get out of chest diapers.
1: I think we've solved that one. I'm looking for our dear friend and favorite author chess essentials because oh, he managed to write something that he fit in an entire blog post into a 280 character tweet
0: <laughs> oh i like this one
1: chess essentials says that a setting incredibly ambitious defy the odds chess goals and announcing them publicly is not brave and inspirational <laughs> and it is propagating the wrong message and says, success is tangible achievement. And I was like, damn, I thought I left academia, so I didn't have to worry about all of my work being scooped by a single post. But this is like the episode that we're going to release. It's true.
0: It's totally true. But it's also totally true.
1: Yeah, that's why we said it.
0: (laughs) Everything we say is absolute truth, which is real.
1: We are infallible human chess coaches. (laughs) But yeah, so this is something that by the time this comes out, Chess Essentials will have heard that this is something we absolutely agree with. And part yeah. of what's made it hard to even admit to it myself that I have goals at all for chess or for improvement or for any sort of gains is how turned off I am by the people who are talking about their 500 point goal or those sorts of things. And I guess maybe my only question would be, what message is it propagating? I agree that it's not propagating this message that success is tangible achievement. But yeah, if you want to put that into words, could you help me here figure out like, what is it that rubs me the wrong way? This is me trying to figure it out for myself.
0: Yeah, I can tell you the ways that it rubs me.
1: Okay, and then we can see if it rubs me that way too.
0: Yeah, let's see how it rubs us. When I read something like that, the way that I'm interpreting the message, there's something about it that feels so self-congratulatory. When I'm thinking about what it's trying to communicate, it's almost trying to get a backpat for something that you haven't really done yet. I think it feels really good. I'm trying to signal that I am dedicated and committed and... This is the plan. Maybe it's even about accountability. But there is something about it that just feels so...
1: I think it gives me a sort of, I'm not like those other girls vibes, where it's, it's a way of saying I might only be a this-rated mm-hmm, player, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I'm a this-rated player who's willing to put the work in. I don't know. I've met a lot of people who like have ratings substantially lower than mine, and will say things like, yeah, my goal is in the next two or three years to get to 2,200. And I'm just yeah. like... I understand what they're trying to signal is like their seriousness or how hard they're willing to work. But I love this idea as me, a person who's been stuck at 2100 for the past two or three years, yeah. that there's something that they have and are willing to do that I don't. And if they know me and they know how much I have or haven't worked and can compare that and make his genuine assessment that they can do a lot more than I've been able to, I'm open to that for sure. But just this assumption that, oh yeah, if I just set this goal and put in the work I'm two or three years away from JJ's goal plus 700 more points. And it's just like, dude, that makes me feel like, yeah, don't think much of me. And I know that you're not thinking about me at all. But yeah, it is really funny.
0: Exactly. That's what I was going to say.
1: But when you think about other people, you start to realize something very scary, which is, oh man, these other people, they're smart too. They work hard too. They want this a lot too. And a lot of them have still managed to plateau or get stuck short of my stretch goals.
0: Totally. It's
1: a lot easier to tell yourself this story where just no one else wants it as bad as you, and you're just going to set this intention.
0: I don't even think that story is happening because that's just so many layers of thought, Mm. JJ, that I don't Mm. think are occurring. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. They're not thinking about it. I don't think this is someone who is reflecting on it deeply on any level whatsoever. So whenever I see a goal that's so egregiously inflated, like the one you just described, the first thing that washes over me is the sense of, wow, this is just pure naivete, right? This is someone who hasn't got a clue. It's like the undergrad who comes to my office hours and is like, oh, I just can't wait to do a PhD. It's going to be so fun and enjoyable. And you're like, okay, (laughs) good luck. But and you know what I'm trying to say?
1: I completely know what you're trying to say. I'm completely are not thinking about anyone else or any part of the journey. They just think that they like the idea of putting on this costume and like wearing it around.
0: And I think that you are only able to make these types of statements when you truly have no clue. You're not thinking. You, you just don't really know what it takes yet. So I feel like that's something that people tend to do when they haven't been in the water very long.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I think the only... Concern I have is just in other areas of life, too, there is this whole culture of toxic positivity, I'm saying of people who genuinely do say things like, you will be able to reach any of your goals if you set your mind to it. And it really is just a matter of you don't want it bad enough. And I do worry that some of these people, if pushed to reflect on, then why do you think so-and-so? hasn't hit 2200 if they're so much closer than you. I think some of these people really might say, yeah, I think they're just not willing to do the work. They might not want to say that out loud or they're not thinking about it when they say it. But I do think a lot of people will think that it's just a matter of they don't want it bad enough.
0: Totally. Or maybe even they're just not good enough. Like they don't have something that I have. But you're smiling because someone has literally said this to me when I'm in the middle of my clinical internship year, applying and interviewing for postdocs and have a life that is fuller than I can explain on the pod. I think toxic positivity definitely rears its cute, adorable, perfect head in the (laughs) test space often enough.
1: Not to be a dead horse, but Dr. (laughs) Horse says most chess books, apps, videos marketed to club level players are really for experts and up and the people doing the marketing know it.
0: Oh, that's so interesting. I thought you were going to read a comment about someone was talking about how to position the horse. We should do that one next.
1: I think that's like the only one I didn't put in there because I really don't care which way is the pony's face.
0: I know, neither do I. That's the only thing I was going to say. Is can everyone shut the fuck up about the horse? It's like the mittens of the chess pieces. It's very meme-y. It, yeah, it gets you the laughs and the likes on our anarchy chess. It doesn't tickle me. But
1: if knights were cats instead of horses, the only way to face them would be like on their cute little bellies. <laughs> or like on their back head tilted back looking at you begging for belly rubs. That's the only way to position a cat. There
0: are lots of cats that don't like Belly rubs. I feel like what you've just said is exclusive.
1: It is exclusive to good cats.
0: (laughs) Did your cat let you rub her belly?
1: She demands I rub her belly. Oh, It's not often, but when it happens, it's definitely a demand. But anyways, I was thinking of Dr. Horse's tweet because this is yet another reason. I think I agree with the point that a lot of these training materials are marketed for a player who's closer in strength to 2000 than to 1400 even if they're marketed as like for intermediate or club players. But do you know what a great thing to do is when you have training material that is too hard for you to learn on your own?
0: Get another electronic chess material or yes! coach to help you.
1: Yes, exactly. You need to input your Chessable course onto an AIM Chess study plan so it can tell you which ones it gets wrong the most and then upload it to Chess Tempo, which I don't know what that one does.
0: You just need more AI.
1: (laughs) You just need more AI. Or you could get a human chess coach and be like, hey, can you tell me what it is that I'm not getting? One of the things I love doing is using training material that already exists to be like, cool, I want you to talk me through what you're seeing here, because I think what you're going to say is going to overlook a couple points that you've been overlooking in your own games. And if you just read that book on your own, you probably would have just overlooked this point too. And I'm viewing my job as more like a literal teacher of it's like the reason why you'll read books in class sometimes. It's not because you're not literate. It's because having a teacher will help you get different things out of the book. So yeah, I think it's probably true. And that's why even if you have a fuck ton of books and you don't have any AI at your disposal, you might benefit from going through those books with a human chess coach.
0: And it's so true too, even what you're saying, JJ, also to speak to almost the curation, there might be books that are quote unquote, aimed for these lower beginner intermediate level players. But then when you have a person who has experience with those actual resources and with teaching other people who have used those resources and have all of their own insight and knowledge beyond just the algorithm on the internet about what level it's supposed to be for, they might be able to say, hey, that does say it's for 1600 and below, but actually that's not the most appropriate resource for you right now. Mm -hmm. So I can just imagine some ways that a human chess coach might get that more correct based on their experience.
1: Oh, completely. And just because it's right here, Cal Cashin six six six, Nepo is an underrated cutie. I <sighs> see his royal blue tux and think, looks like that's made of husband material. No well, there's reaction. two
0: different questions there. One is, is Nepo a cutie? Yes. And is his cuteness underrated? Those are two separate things.
1: Oh, and then the third is, he husband material.
0: Everyone is husband material. Every pot needs a lid. <laughs> For every pot, there is a lid, which is not true. Lots of pots don't have
1: lids. That's true. Okay. Is Nepo a cutie? Yeah. Is Nepo's cuteness underrated? What's it rated? 2800 on a good day? No.
0: (laughs) No, I think Nepo has his own charm. Nepo's a cute character in the chess space. He's well liked. I think he's rated and I think he's batting his average. I
1: think that I see like, I've seen like a handful of comments about his weight or losing weight and gaining it back, which always bums me out. And I feel and think that like he does have a different physique than a lot of top players. And I wonder if a lot of people hold that against him. And so I'm tempted to say his cuteness is underrated.
0: All right. You convinced
1: me. Okay. Chess shit poster says that chess as a topic does not lend itself to the podcast medium. (laughs)
0: okay not not a chance how could it possibly and people should really stop trying because it's just getting so convoluted the space is oversaturated these people need to be stopped
1: i know the next thing that's going to happen is people start making twitters just to post about chess
0: but wouldn't that be a more appropriate medium because it's visual no would be really cool, though, if there were some aspects of chess that could lend themselves to an audio format, things besides just the way the pieces move on the board and what are the best lines and tactics and strategies.
1: I don't have any of this. but should we do an ASMR podcast where it's just us moving physical chess pieces in silence?
0: No, we've joked about this, though. I really think we should do this concept. We should have... A night where we play online and we have to pick an opening, a frustrating one, something that we both hate or something that we both love. And then the audio is just us playing and clicking and reacting.
1: I do think that's brilliant. Okay. So people have opinions about Blitz and Bullet. I don't want to talk about that. A lot of people had opinions about openings. Can we just not talk about any of the opening opinions?
0: You're going too fast. I'm gonna, I need to look myself.
1: All right. Then I'm going to run to the bathroom again.
0: Okay, so guys, while J.J.'s in the bathroom, I'm just going to blitz through some of these myself because this is my podcast now. Okay, the fantasy hero is severely underrated from Pulsey Ashland. See, again, I just don't know what things are rated. How can I say if it's underrated? Do I love the fantasy? Yeah, I do. I really do. But do I actually play the fantasy? Yes, of course I do. <laughs> But does it work? Is it good? Yeah, it really does. It's awesome. So yeah, I guess this depends on how everyone feels about the fantasy. If you're not playing it, you should definitely learn it. It rocks my world. It made the Karaoke Con fun for me. I used to groan inside when I saw it, and now I get a little giddy and I always have a good time. All right, we'll see, Ashlyn. You've convinced me. The Exchange French and Exchange Karaoke are good. <laughs> Fun openings to play. Chest pain. Chest pain, I used to like you. You had that whole funny story about the tooth. you were a friend of the pod, and now I'm I'm not really sure how I feel about you anymore. I'm gonna I'm not convinced. I'm gonna have to disagree with this one. Maybe when JJ gets back, they can chime in. But uh well let's start with those one by one. They're fun. <laughs> no, I'm not having fun. So if they're not fun. They're good. Well, if I'm not having fun, then it's not good. And if I don't like it, it's not good the hippo is a legit opening under 2000 yes obviously okay in the context of everything is a good opening under 2000 you can play anything and just do your little john bartholomew fundamentals and blunder check and you'll be fine there's no opening you can't play okay don't challenge me on that Okay, the King's Gambit rules and should be revived in tournament play. The King's Gambit is fine. It's already happening in tournament play. And anyway, my problem is not with the King's Gambit. It's with people who play the King's Gambit. And people who want to talk about the King's Gambit on Twitter. I can't stand any of you people. You're all the same.
1: (laughs) Have you been going through all of the openings or did you just start with the King's Gambit?
0: No, I've just been on a roll.
1: Okay, amazing. No, this is awesome. This is.
0: Let's just skip this one because I don't even want to talk about the King's Gambit. <laughs> the King's Indian is undeniably bad in just about every line. What a strange thing. This to me sounds as just gut level, clearly, intuitively incorrect as saying any opening is undeniably good in just about every line.
1: I also think that's an especially strange take because... The King's Indian has really clear plans for Black yeah. based around concrete attacking. And for White, often require both defensive acumen and patience. So I think practically speaking, the King's Indian makes a lot more sense for Black than for White.
0: Yeah. Okay, you have not convinced us. Next. <laughs> the Night Orb is Flaming Hot Garbage from Anna Sage.
1: The full line is the night earth is flaming hot garbage. Parentheses, I lost to it again. I agree. I'm sure you did.
0: This was not the first time.
1: I want to make a like a night earth <laughs> book cover, but it's like made to look like a bag of flaming hot cheetos.
0: <laughs> Wait, that's really funny. <laughs> and it has
1: like a niche on it instead of Chester Cheetah.
0: I do feel like there's something about this take that actually is correct. There's something about the Night that unless it gets like really dulled down, it is so susceptible just to becoming flaming hot, chaotic garbage for one side or the other. I don't mm-hmm. know. It, it just has such a propensity to go so wrong, but whether that's for white or for black remains to be seen.
1: It, I Definitely what I like about the opening from both sides is that my experience playing it with both colors is so often thinking... No yeah. way that's going to work about my opponent's last move before realizing it totally does work and then looking at it with the engine who then tells me no, it doesn't. And then five oh seconds my God. <laughs> says, never mind, it comes though. <laughs> that um, is the
0: best description of the Nine dwarf I've ever heard. They need to literally put that on Anisha's LTR as the header. That's hilarious.
1: Dangerously cheesy.
0: Okay. We're going to make a t shirt. That's fucking okay. hilarious, people.
1: Okay. Next. <laughs>
0: The French is a better opening than the Sicilian. What do they mean by better? Can we operationalize that?
1: Yeah, and they do in the follow-up. Hang on. I love a good follow-up. I have been made aware that this reads like opening fanboyism of the sort. The Budapest is a better opening than the Nimzo from some delusional gambeteer. I just want to clarify that I hate the French. I just think the Sicilian sucks.
0: I don't understand. okay. Talk to me like I'm stupid, but I don't understand what any of those words.
1: Oh, you want me to talk to you like you're stupid? Okay, I can do that. Yeah. <clears throat> the French is a better opening than the Sicilian.
0: <laughs> what did Pete say?
1: The deferred Schliemann is 100% sound playable and sexy.
0: Immediately agree. Agreed. No conversation to be had. Anything Pete says about openings, I believe it. I will play it. I will repeat it. Even before I I play it.
1: I will defer on that Schliemann every day.
0: (laughs) Love you, Pete. Next.
1: You shouldn't play that opening at your level is almost never good advice for beginner or intermediate players. People should play whatever gets them excited about the game. Your theory that it's in some way suboptimal for their results or development is probably rubbish anyways.
0: Okay, no, I disagree with every single sentence of this.
1: Everyone should play the fried liver. (laughs)
0: you shouldn't play that opening at your level is never good advice are you gonna tell a 900 to play a night orf really is that what they're gonna be doing
1: i think what's baked into this assumption that's really bad is that people are picking the openings they play based off of what gets them excited about the game because i think that it's if you find a 900 who like is enthralled by like poison pawn night orfs or something from looking at my 60 memorable games and really is trying to learn to play like that. Yeah. Okay. We shouldn't discourage that, whatever. But most people, most 900s who play the night think that there are 900s who are bordering on 2400. <laughs> and they like the idea of playing openings that are known for being the most complex. And that's not what's getting you excited about chess. That's like, what's getting you excited about your own intellect. And <laughs> you haven't even figured out what's getting you excited about chess and you should maybe play around with different openings till you find one you like and maybe it is the night orf but i don't think most people pick their openings because they actually like them which (laughs) and the reason why i say that also is it's hard to know what openings you like before you play it how could you pick the openings you're going to play based on what you like you're just like sampling things and a lot of reasons to sample them are because like they're on sale on Chessable. i don't know
0: yep yeah no sorry not on board not convinced Okay, I'm just going to go with the ones we haven't hit yet. JJ, we're going to do a fast and blast. Are you ready? Ready. Okay. Fury is my favorite player. On the count of three, we'll both say we're convinced or not convinced. One, two, three. Convinced. Dangerously maybe. cheesy. Stop wasting your time learning opening lines unless you're rated higher than 2,000.
1: Can I stop anyways?
0: Come on. You got to be able to get out of the opening. You have to learn some opening Lines, my friends. Not convinced. (laughs) Playing mots is for insecure people and doesn't help with your chess.
1: Those are two separate points. I do know several people who the thought of playing anybody, even or in some cases, especially strangers online, fills them with a lot of anxiety. Not usually because of fear of cheating or things like that, but they feel like either because they're not good enough or they don't want to waste this person's time or they think everyone else is really good. And so I do think how that insecurity could make playing bots useful. I think it probably doesn't help your chess in the sense that you don't get to see how other people play and you don't get to see how other people think about it. But I don't know, like maybe playing bots and having a human chess coach can work.
0: <laughs> Ooh, look at that. Mixing a world. I play bots sometimes for a very different reason, which is just if I'm in a context where I don't know how quickly I'll be able to respond, but I'm feeling really impatient and it's so I want my opponent to play a move immediately, I'll just play a bot. It's really useful for that if you just want like a
1: quick one. I just study openings.
0: Oh, this is a funny one. Svidler is an excellent commentator, but he really needs to learn to let other people speak.
1: Why? Have you heard other people?
0: <laughs> i literally just realized who peter Spidler is and this came to my attention in the most embarrassing way where i posted on twitter that i would tell people what costumes they should wear for halloween and then someone named peter Spidler said tell me and then i responded you should dress up like mr dodgy and then jj dm'd me and was like you can't talk to peter Spidler like that and i said who is Peter Svidler? I'm sure I
1: praised you for talking to Peter Svidler
0: like that for the <laughs> Yeah, actually, that's 100% true. And then I learned who that is. And it sh- I'm just bad with faces. So now I can recognize his face and his name. But anyway, we were listening to him commentating Tata Steel, And I was like, oh, OK, he is actually pretty good at this. I'll give you a better costume next year, Peter, if you are forgiving enough to comment on my Twitter thread again.
1: He went as a meerkat this year oh so he listened
0: so obedient awesome love you peter a scottish
1: meerkat swedish
0: Uh here's one jj i would be happy if i never hear the word bong cloud again i think people think it's funny when someone says what's your favorite opening and they say bong cloud that's not funny it's not funny it's not funny i
1: think that the double bong cloud game was funny
0: yeah but then people just thought it was too funny and it made it not funny
1: that is, okay, that is true. It's one of those things, yeah, because what was funny was the spontaneity.
0: Exactly. This is what always happens. It's mm-hmm. Eric Rosen's Oh No, My Queen was so funny because it was so authentic, like true improv. And everyone loved it. It was hilarious. But now the meme version of that is such a groan, such an internal cringe. It has been co-opted in the worst possible way.
1: Oh No, My Bonclad. Cloud.
0: Oh, here's a good one. Everyone better than me is a nerd, and everyone worse than me is a loser.
1: It's true when I say it, but it sounds wrong when you say it.
0: (laughs) It's so true that everyone who's better than me is a loser, and everyone worse than me is a loser. Okay. Magnus will start losing more games. Don't care. I love this one. How did we not get to this one yet? Working for a large chess nonprofit destroys your game. Prove me wrong from John Hartman of the one and only U.S. Chess.
1: From what I can tell, that man never had any game.
0: (laughs) And I wouldn't know. I couldn't answer this question because despite my pathetic pleadings on Twitter, John Hartman has yet to give me a job or follow me back on Twitter.
1: We'll talk to him about those things.
0: When he hears this, he'll follow you back. No, he will not. Let's place bets.
1: Okay. I bet you a chess lesson with me, a human chess coach, that he will follow you back when he hears this.
0: (laughs) Okay. If he doesn't, then I'm going to take an unlimited number of lessons with David on (laughs) chess.com.
1: No, and if he does, you have to give John Hartman a lesson.
0: Yeah. Let's make that happen. Okay. The Petrov is a good defense. Sure. always burn the clock no are you thinking about it jj or you're just not
1: I, w- I was trying to even understand what that means, oh, I don't like, know what that
0: means.
1: my favorite my brain is just like tangent tangented to what opinions do i have about the clock and my favorite thing is when i'm playing a slow game and i really have to go to the bathroom And I'm worried that I'm going to take one of my famously long poops and lose a (laughs) lot of time on my clock. And I come back 8 to 12 minutes later and they're still thinking. That is like my absolute favorite moment in chess.
0: Everything you just said is 100% accurate, except for your poops are not that long. I'm not impressed. (laughs) Here's one. Anyone aborting a blitz or bullet game after someone plays 1C4? gets banned from Lee Chess for at least one month and their rep gets ridiculed on the Chess Fields pod.
1: I would love to roast these people's repertoires. And one of my students in Twitter, William, he plays 1B3 and he like posts screenshots of his opponents who abort 1B3 games that he <laughs> starts with the hashtag name and shame.
0: I love, wait, that is the funniest thing yeah, I've heard all day.
1: That's real. so hashtag name and shame is great. And I I barely play 1B3, but I've gotten several people to abort for that too. And so I'll <laughs> post the name and shame when it happens.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, that's so brilliant. Let's go out with a bang. Let's just do exactly one more. Okay. All 1E5 players are masochists. All of I
1: think them. That person was just flirting with me because I've said that before, like on Twitter.
0: Really? Yeah. Oh, my God. Hawk enthusiast. I
1: was a, like, 1E5 player for most of my life.
0: Are you flirting with my co-host? I can wingman this. Okay, write in and let us know. Convince me that they're flirting. Just kidding. Don't do that. <laughs> I, man, I wish flirting on chess Twitter was real.
1: Yeah. R.I.P.
0: <laughs> we are definitely going to keep that in, but censor it out. <laughs> Okay, that's the end of the episode.
1: Okay. Brilliant. One, one. Yeah. As always, thank you for letting us take you into this deep dark forest.
0: Where two plus two equals five, and the path leading out is only wide enough one, for listeners one. like you.
1: Intro and outro music provided by JPEG Mafia.
0: We would be yeah. truly touched if you subscribe and leave us a glowing review.
1: And tell all of your friends.
0: <laughs> yeah, all of them.
1: And every week, we'll be gifting one lucky subscriber who leaves a five-star review, a lifetime premium diamond membership yeah. to leechess.org,
0: Unlocking all of their features. Even that? Especially that. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter one. at ChessFeelsPod.
1: Oh, and if you didn't like what you heard, do not hesitate yeah. to message any feedback.
0: No matter how critical or scathing.
1: Directly to Mr. Dodgy, our social media manager, even though he doesn't know it. At Chess problem. <laughs> one. Yeah.